You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM, and this is Media on the Radio. Hey, everybody. I'm very excited about this new series I'm doing on nonprofit fundraising. But if you're interested in binge listening, right now, currently, if you're listening to one of them, all of them exist on my website, waitwhatpro.com. So you can go to waitwhatpro.com very easily, find a link to all episodes pertaining to nonprofit fundraising. And I'm hoping to continue this series as time goes on and as I find relevant topics to share and to contribute to the conversation. In this episode, we're talking to Bridget Spitka, who works at the ACLU in Washington, D.C. Weeks before we recorded it, the ACLU, the national organization, had raised over $20 million in one weekend, right after President Trump had signed his first travel ban. We get into what it's like now currently working at the ACLU as well, what her history and philosophy are of fundraising and philanthropy. I'm curious, you know, what attracted you to kind of get into nonprofit? Did it, did you get into nonprofit management or did you get into, uh, did you go to school for it? How did that all get started? I was doing my informational interviews with um, executive directors and asking them, uh, what experiences do I need if I want to try to become an executive director in 10 years. And I will pause and say, when I was in my mid-20s, like I had this very clear path, which of course has diverged in many different directions. We we have different beliefs of how clear our lives will pan out when we're in our 20s <laughs> than, <laughs> than they often do. But I, still, I had that conversation and, and um, all the executive directors I talked to said, what you will need to show a board is fundraising experience. So from that, I said, okay, I'll, I'll get into fundraising, really thinking of it as a stepping stone to moving into nonprofit management at an executive level. And then I found that I really liked it. Really, you just talk to folks about what is most important to them. And the conversations are fascinating. I will confess that I was nervous at first, you know, because <laughs> I, I think um, maybe a, a, perhaps a misconception about major gifts and fundraising in general, that it's up to the fundraiser to craft their words in exactly the right way, the donor will say, yes, okay, I will give you the gift. But what I have found is um, most important, actually, in, in terms of building that philanthropic partnership is listening, that what I mostly do when I meet with donors, particularly for the first time, is ask a lot of questions. I want to know what interests them. How did they build their philosophy of life? How did they first get engaged with this particular charity? And that listening to a donor, they will tell you, this is what I want to see. This is the work that I want to see done in the world. And then you have an opportunity to say, actually, this is what this matches up with the work that our charity does. Can you talk a little bit about the ACLU? And this is, uh, is it the Washington, D.C. ACLU? Is that how you say it? Yeah. So we're the ACLU of the District of Columbia. And this particular office focuses on residents of D.C. The ACLU is a national organization. And then there are affiliates, um, affiliates in every state, um, plus D.C. and Puerto Rico. And um, states, uh, the state of California has three separate affiliates. So there's 54 affiliates who are on the ground working just in their local areas. But then we all have above us this umbrella organization, which has deep expertise in 
the many different issues where we work. Um, so immigration or reproductive rights or LGBT rights, freedom of religion. Right now, of course, with the Muslim ban 2.0, that's a major um, issue that's on our radar. First Amendment issues, which include freedom of speech and of religion and of press and freedom to assemble, of protest, everything pretty much in the Constitution. <laughs> um, those are all of the many things that the ACLU encompasses. So uh, here in D.C., uh, we focus quite a bit on criminal justice reform. Um, we have many different types of law enforcement here that a, re a resident of D.C. might interact with. There is the city's um, law enforcement, the Metropolitan Police Department, but there's the Capitol Police, and there's the Secret Service, and there's the Park Police. And um, D.C. was historically known as the Chocolate City. Um, it used to be vast majority uh, black people, and now I think it's 48% and maybe 10% Latinos. And historically, people of color have had more interactions um, with law enforcement and have suffered racial disparities when it comes to incarceration and every single step along the way of the criminal justice process. So all that to say, because we are a city, the city of, the Washing of Washington, D.C., we end up focusing a lot of um, our resources on those types of interactions with law enforcement. And I'm sure D.C., being in Washington, D.C., there's there's all of those issues around it. I mean, that it happens across the country, but, you know, I, uh, having been involved in a lot of advocacy organizations, the right to protest, the, you know, the right uh, the, to gather and everything else is a big part of the, the climate of Washington, D.C. in general. Yes. So I'm sure it comes up quite a bit. And what's so interesting is that um, – all of these different issues intersect and interact. So on the day of inauguration, there were 216 arrests of protesters, uh, some of whom were journalists. So this is an issue of the right to protest, and it's also an issue of um, freedom of press. And that's something that we were looking at. The ACLU has been in the news quite a bit. Um, yep. <laughs> um, and... I'd love for you to comment on, on just what it's been like to work at the ACLU the last, say, three months or two months. Other, other things have been written up in the news of how much money, and I assume that that's the blanket organization of the ACLU, the national ACLU, that has raised, what, $20 million or something like that? Uh, there was the one weekend after the first Muslim ban where um, the, nationally we raised $24 million, yes. Yeah. yeah. Which was insane. <laughs> <laughs> and so what, what has that been like? I mean, I'm sure you're in the middle of it right now and, and kind of in it, so it's hard to comment. But Yeah, well, it's important, I feel, to note that the ACLU has been around for 97 years. We have been doing this, these fighting back against these types of um, unconstitutional injustices for so long, right? We were the... Um, Ulysses case for freedom of speech and Gideon case, and we were um, the Loving case in Virginia for interracial marriage. We were Edie Windsor, who struck down DOMA, and then um, Jim Obergefell, which allowed for gay marriage. So just over the course of 
these 97 years, um, systematically, we have been at the, the forefront of pushing these civil liberties and civil rights issues, particularly through litigation. I, I think um, no other organization except for the Department of Justice has been to the Supreme Court as many times as the ACLU. So this whole infrastructure was in place. Um, and then when the Trump administration began, we were prepared. We were there ready to go um, for the uh, first travel ban. The executive order came down on a Friday. We filed Friday night. They were up through the night, <laughs> went to court <laughs> on Saturday, that um, argued in front of the court on the Saturday, and it was at Saturday night that uh, there was the first uh, ruling came down. They put a stay on the order um, from the court in Brooklyn. At the same time as that was happening, the ACLU was, was, was guiding people to get out in the streets and protest. So people went to the airports. There were ACLU attorneys in the airports with signs as people walked out of um, customs saying, if you need a lawyer, I am right here, you know, ready to uh, serve folks who had been in these situations where they had been detained by the Customs and Border Patrol. And then there were protesters outside who were filming and, and social media was um, a beautiful thing in that case in terms of the Facebook live videos that were being all tossed around the Internet and, and folks seeing how disruptive this one executive order had been to people who were family members and who were... Um, our client, the ACLU's client, was a man, um, an Iraqi, who had helped U.S. forces for four years, had translated for them. And those positions are um, have the highest risk of death in that kind of war situation. And he risked his life for so many years um, to help the United States and when the time then came for him to get his visa to come to the United States, he was blocked by this executive order from Trump. So the injustice of it was appalling. And I think that's why it just drew people out in a way, a way that we hadn't seen in many years, but at the same time from an ACLU's like infrastructure perspective, we were there. Like we knew what, we knew what it was that was going to happen. So it's been exciting for us to get, um, this kind of coverage but at the same time we know this is what we've been capable of for decades right and and i think it's really great to see that kind of kind of influx and it's i think it's probably necessary um but but i learned that you know someone and i i'm probably getting the numbers wrong but you know the the justice department has something what like seventeen thousand lawyers and ACLU has around 300. That's right, yeah. So to put, the, it, put yeah. that still in perspective of what, you know... The behemoth that we face. Yeah, the Department of Justice has 11,000. The Trump administration as a whole, including the other agencies, is about 19,000. And we are now probably up, if, if not now, soon have plans to be up to 400. Um, with the influx of donations are able to expand from a, a little more than 300 now so it's not like okay CLU's great yeah, everything's great now <laughs> yeah no I, I'm curious to know you know trying to shift gears a little bit and and get into the nuts and bolts of, of 
the work that you personally sure. do with the ACLU? Yeah, so fundraising is um, is so interesting because there's a, a key component of it is very analytical and essentially boils down to we have limited time. There's a common sales idea of, of the 2080 model. So the idea that 20% of your customers provide 80% of your income right, and 80% of your customers provide 20% of your income. And when so when you look at it that way, it makes sense from a strategic time resource standpoint to be putting more time toward that smaller core group of people who will um, provide more of your revenue. Sales doesn't always translate to fundraising, but that particular idea of um, a smaller core group of people who end up providing larger compo- larger components of your revenue, that's true in fundraising as well. It's tricky because um, that's an analytical approach, and at the same time, every donor is important. And the person who gives $100, it means so much to them the same way that the person who has the capacity to give $100,000, that means a lot to them. <laughs> but from um, a strictly like budget standpoint of trying to generate as many resources as we can so that the charity can go and fulfill its mission to the best of its ability, that's our job. And so we end up having to be very strategic and focusing on this core group of donors. And how do you... how did- Typical prospective donors come your way. Is there is there a mechanism for that, or you, you know, it's since you're dealing with such a small number, I'm curious how how that happens. Yeah. Um, so th- the it comes from a few different directions. Part of it is that larger group of quote unquote smaller donors. Um, we will look through those people to see if someone um, who who is giving $100 might be able to give $1,000. We do that kind of research um, with our board members who might be able to identify a friend from amongst our donor roles. Board members and other donors often also bring in people from the outside who, who aren't yet familiar with our work. But they are friend. They might it might be a next door neighbor um, <laughs> type of situation, uh, and the ACLU has had this crazy outpouring of support um, since the Trump administration began. Uh, so a lot of that has been through news articles and just our work being out there much more broadly has generated uh, more interest in what we're doing. I feel like if. You, if you looked at a huge scope of charities, that that's a more rare circumstance. And I, if I were a charity, I would not bank on that happening. <laughs> um, it's much more about the um, kind of systemic meeting with your board members and asking them, do you have folks who you, whom you might bring in? And very methodically going through your current donor lists and seeing are there folks that we can engage at a deeper level. There's not a silver bullet for it. It just takes a lot of going through the work person by person, day by day, making your calls weekly, having your meetings monthly, making sure that you're kind of hitting your targets. Again, this is this is a bit of the, the analytical um, piece of it that is 
less exciting and and can feel like a disconnect from the passion of the mission of the work. But there's not some brand new great idea that's going to suddenly raise millions of dollars. It's really much more about showing up every day and putting in the work, implementing your development strategy so that you're really stepping through, making sure that you are reaching out to those hundred donors in a way that they they hear from you eight times a year or 12 times a year, whatever whatever your strategy is, that it's really much, much more about implementation <laughs> than innovation. That's great. That's a great quote. That's I, I love that. And and there's a lot of email campaigning that can happen. I know that that's really popular, you know, crafting certain emails, having huge lists of people that you're emailing. Um, and I've done some Kickstarter campaigns where that's the main, you know, as a filmmaker, you're you're emailing everyone you've ever said hi to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just hoping, like throwing it against the wall and hoping every you get your you get your goal. Um, but it, I think that's really interesting and a great message for people that that it it does come off somewhat analytical, like you're going after, like almost like a politician would you know, raise money on the side and, and you have to have a certain amount of calls in to, you know, to have a certain amount of chances, but um, it's, you're not selling, you're selling something else other than that. And I, and you have to have a good product, right? Uh, like the ACLU to be able to, to be, to make it possible as well. Yeah. And I draw a pretty clear distinction between um, <clears throat> fundraising for a charity like the ACLU versus political fundraising which for political fundraising, there's an end point. There's the election. And so that frames your interactions with donors as you can just go after donors as much as possible. You know, you ask them again and again and again and again, and you build up lots of urgency, the sense of urgency with the knowledge that at the end of the day it will end. But that leads to donor fatigue and for and when you have an election that works fine because you do have an end point but for a charity whose work is long term and whose challenges come and go it makes much more sense to work with your donors as partners to build relationships with them so that you are giving and receiving so that they they feel like they are part of your community and they regularly want to contribute to you. You, meanwhile, are regularly communicating back to them the work that you're doing and the impact that it's having, and that it's not so much about immediately hammering them for as much money as possible. That's that's a great <laughs> way to <Yeah. laughs> um, really put off a donor as soon as possible. Um, another great way to really put off a donor as soon as possible, which happened to me once. Um, is to have the title of major gift officer, which so I I was a new um, <clears throat> new employee at a place, and that was the title that they had given me, and those were the business cards that I had, and I went um, to a networking meeting, and I and I was so thrilled. I ended up meeting in person a guy whom I had emailed, and he hadn't emailed back, and so it was like, oh great, now I get this face to face interaction. Now he knows who I am, and I chatted with him, and I said, um, you know, I'd love to sit down for coffee and we can talk a little bit further about the work that we're doing. And he said, sure, give me your card, which I then handed over to him. And he looked at it 
And he looked at me and he looked at the card and he said, Major Gift Officer. That is a terrible title. And it just, <laughs> many, now many places do, instead they say Associate Director of Development or something like that. But when you, when you have the phrase Major Gift, it reduces your donor from a person to a dollar sign. You know, right. they very much the end sale. up, yeah. they yeah. very much end up feeling like a means to an end and not a partner with the charity in together tackling whatever the issue is that's at the center of your mission. Two more quick questions. I, I was talking to Liz Norton from Stone Soup today, and, and she does, they do great work, and what they do is try and really pinpoint what's visual. And certain programs like after-school programs or whatever it is um, that maybe the donor can't go and visit themselves or mm-hmm. you know there was a prison she was talking about this one uh, prison program where they brought the kids in to the maximum security prison to see their dads and it, you're not going to bring a donor yeah. in to w- witness right. that mm-hmm. but if you bring a camera and you can show the donor that mm-hmm. video mm-hmm. And, and I'm curious how you show impact or how, when you're sitting down with a donor after the fact and and you're you know celebrating maybe a win what is it how do you how do you work with them on, or, or explain the impact that they had on this on this case or something like that? Yeah, people are really moved by um, stories of other people. And so specific to the ACLU, we've had um, amazingly generous clients who have been open with their time uh, and, and giving of themselves and their stories to say, this is the situation I have right now. I can't go to the bathroom that I want to go to. This is the situation I want. I want to be considered um, a full citizen in public society, and that means I want to be able to use the public facilities that other people, full citizens, are able to use. Um, so Gavin Graham sharing his story, that's that's what he brings to the table, which we then share widely, well, with donors, but also with um the public at large. I'm thinking of Jim Obergefell, who was our client, who uh, in the gay, in the same-sex marriage case, who likewise described his life without being able to be married um, to his partner and how that impacted his, their day-to-day living and their health situations. And then that now that people can get married to see the elimination of those problems has been extraordinary. So it's very much about um, sharing with donors the people who are impacted. In a way, the nonprofit staff just kind of have to get out of the way <laughs> and let the, uh, let the folks from impacted communities themselves describe their experiences and where they see the spaces that they need to grow. That's great. That's a great answer. And then just to finish up, uh, kind of a quick answer of, you know, if if you had advice for somebody that's maybe coming out of college, maybe they're working in nonprofit management and want to get into fundraising, um, what would what advice would you have for them? I think the best way to get into it is just find a place where you can start asking for gifts because asking for gifts actually is still kind of hard and a lot of people stutter at first and you you 
tremble over your words and you're not quite sure of the right thing and the way that you figure it out is just to do it a whole bunch of times. So um, if you are part of an alumni group for your university, might they might have a program where they give a bunch of alumni 50 different people to call, jump on that because you may not raise lots of money for the university, but you will get the experience of picking up the phone and squashing down that nervousness and just trying to figure out how to engage with a person right away in those few seconds so that you can have a conversation about what's important to them and then you can practice learning how to ask for money. And I really appreciate what you said earlier about this amazing 20-minute pitch presentation that you that you have and that you're just going to nail it. Right. And they're going to give you a check and applaud and everything else. <laughs> it's about the work of establishing relationships and Absolutely. and bringing it to there's, there's no textbook necessarily to you know bring you to a point where you're you're asking them for a check and they give it to you right absolutely it's just about you as a person connecting to another person between the two of you talking about what's important to each other what's important to them and how your charity can help that particular person achieve their philanthropic goals Great. Well, we'll finish on that. That was fantastic. (laughs) Thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Thank you. You can go to waitwhatpro.com to find past episodes of Media on the Radio. Again, stay tuned to Media on the Radio on iTunes. Get Get that podcast sent directly to your phone as I release more and more of these episodes about nonprofit fundraising, the series that I'm doing. Um, but if you're really curious about all the different episodes that I've done on nonprofit fundraising, you can go directly to my website, waitwhatpro.com, and very easily find a link to the whole series. So I've released the whole series as a batch, um, as a binge listen if you want to do that. Check it out and hope you enjoy it.